This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. And that's what this segment is all about. Debt help professionals in this country. What you should know about those help, those service providers. And we've learned if you're, if you've been, if you've heard the show at all, or if this is your first time, this is such good information because not all debt help professionals are created equally. And, uh, and Blair's going to start by going through some of the most common professionals or types of representatives consumers consider when they're looking, when you're looking for help from someone who can help you with debt management. And, uh, there's lots of good things to, li- to learn in this segment, I think, Blair. I, w- I remember when we first covered this topic, it was surprising and shocking to me, uh, mm-hmm. where some of these, uh, people who, where they come from or how they're funded or et cetera. So let's get to it. Yeah, I'm thrilled to, to talk about this today, Elaine. And, and, you know, I don't think anybody would think that financial literacy in Canada is, is you know, anything that we, we should be proud of at this point. You know, we just don't teach enough about you know, how people should save and invest for the future. And we teach nothing about what to do when you have a debt problem. Um, you know, I went to business school, even worked at an accounting firm, and I had no idea when a family member of mine started to get into financial trouble what I could do to help that person. So even sometimes when you're reaching out, um, you know, to financially literate, financially savvy people in your life, uh, they just might not know where to steer you. So I think today's segment will help you get a little bit of the lay of the land of who's out there, what they could potentially do to help, and where you should start to reach out to. Not to say one professional is the best for every situation. They're not, but it's important to know exactly who is out there. So generally speaking, if you're looking for some debt management support, uh, the type of people people reach that you would reach out to, uh, first off, would be a lender. So typically a bank, maybe for a consolidation loan uh, or a subprime lender. Sometimes these are payday loans uh, or installment loans, you know, sometimes very high interest, high cost, which we'll talk about. Um, other than that, you might see, see or hear something about a debt settlement agent or a debt advisor or a debt consultant. Um, these are typically unregulated individuals that you know often make a lot of claims that might make them sound a whole lot like a licensed insolvency trustee, but they don't have any of the legal authority to actually help you execute on whatever remedies they're talking about. Um, so you'd still have to eventually see a trustee and you might pay fees in between. Um, oftentimes there's credit counselors and these can be for-profit or not-for-profit. There's not a huge difference, honestly, between the two. Um, and oftentimes they're heavily funded by the people that you owe money to. So we'll talk a little bit about how that can create a bit of a conflict of interest. Uh, and then finally, or, or fourth in line here, um, is licensed insolvency trustees, which if you haven't heard, um, they used to be referred to as bankruptcy trustees or trustees in bankruptcy. But about three or four years ago, the government changed the, the title to make it a little bit more uh, maybe innocuous and a little bit uh, more broad to say it's not just bankruptcy, a licensed insolvency trustee can help you with. It's, it's a much broader suite of services than that. Now, those are the official ones, but but you also must come across people who turn to family or friends for help. 
Yeah, and that's that's often uh, one of the worst things that, that you can do. Um, so for an emotional point of view, absolutely open up to your friends, your family member, you know, everybody look for a solution. But if you start, if you begin to borrow from friends or family, it often adds an emotionally wrought dimension to an already difficult situation. Because if you have to be in a position where you're not going to be able to repay all of your debts, by law, you're not allowed to pick and choose and say, well, you know, I just want to pay back my family, but Visa and MasterCard, I'm not going to be able to pay them back. So if you start to introduce some family funds, it can be tough. Uh, and this can sometimes take the, the uh, role of being a co-signer. So you might be applying to a bank for a consolidation loan. They say, well, we can approve you, but only if mom, dad, brother, sister, or whoever signs in the dotted line to also be responsible. Well, then you've just given the bank another pocket to dig into. It's not a 50-50 liability. It's 100% of the debt they might be responsible for if you're in a position that you can't pay it back. So usually that's a bad idea is to start to, to use family resources uh, to deal with, with someone's debt. Yeah. Can you can you talk about the different solutions that are available for each type of debt help provider and then what kind of debts they generally can help with? Yeah, for sure. So we'll go in the same order. So talking about yeah. lenders. So this is, you know, essentially trying to borrow your way out of the situation. So solving a debt problem with more debt, which can sound sometimes a little bit absurd, but oftentimes the benefit is you're going to consolidate or put together a whole bunch of different debts, maybe with different payment dates and different terms and different interest rates. And hopefully you're going to be able to reborrow at a lower interest rate. So you'll have a single monthly payment. Hopefully it's lower than what you were paying before because the interest charges are also lower. So this is usually the first place people start is they say, well, I'm paying 19% interest here, 29% interest there. Could I go and consolidate my debts, you know, for 10 or 12% interest? And oftentimes what comes back from the bank is, well, we'd love to do that, but you don't have any assets that we could take as security to guarantee that they will get paid because the bank is going to go and pay back everybody else 100 cents on the dollar. What if you're not able to pay the bank back? You know, they didn't get to be record profitable by losing money. So they're going to want to make sure there's some assets that are there or they're going to request that you get a co-signer, which, again, can remove all of your flexibility in the future if you eventually can't repay the debts in full. You know now that co-signer is going to be on the hook. Okay. So the second one was what? Uh, debt settlement agents you talked about. Yeah. So with a debt settlement agent, um, you know, they're generally going to try to help you with your consumer debt. So nothing to do with a government debt, a student law or an ICBC debt. And what they'll do uh, is typically try to negotiate individually with each of your creditors to achieve a settlement for less than what you owe. So if you started to, to look up online, you might see things like, oh, yeah, we settle debts for, you know, 20 cents in the dollar. If it's not a trustee, you have to be a bit careful because the way debt settlement works is they'll have a promise that, you know, we can sell your debt for 20 cents in the dollar, but they'll require that you start to save that 20% of the debt so you can give a lump sum payment um, to your creditors. So oftentimes what that means is they'll tell you to stop paying everybody, uh, to start paying them their fee and start putting some money into a set-aside fund or you know, a, a little savings account that's, a, that's different than your normal. And then once you've spent some time being delinquent on your debts, they'll phone up all of your creditors and say, hey, you haven't heard from John in six months. He's going to offer you a 20% repayment. Do you want to take it or not? Some creditors will take it. Some won't. The government will never agree to work with these guys. Um, but oftentimes what I hear from clients is they pay a lot of fees and they're either not able to save the amount of money because life can intervene. It's tough to save a lump sum of money. Um, or their creditors just keep harassing them. They'll never take the deal, and they end up worse off. Their credit rating is worse than it was before, and they got no solution and just paid a bunch of fees. Okay. 
So that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good option. What about a credit counselor? We see lots of advertisements and hear lots of advertisements for credit counseling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a credit counselor, so it's the same type of debts that can be handled as with the debt settlement agent. So it's your typical consumer debt, so it's nothing to do with government, student loans, or ICBC. Um, and a credit counselor, they're generally funded near 100% by the creditors. So this is, you know, one of my bones of contention is I think there should be a whole lot more transparency when you sit down, even with a not-for-profit credit counselor, for them to say, you know, my job is essentially to be a collection agent for the bank. I'm going to treat you nice, but I want 100% of the debt back from the bank. And that's what a credit counselor can offer you is 100% repayment of your debt um, over a term of up to five years. And they can often negotiate an interest freeze on those amounts. So compared to your status quo, that can be a really good option. You know, get the interest down to zero and pay it off over five years. But the challenge that I run into with clients is it can be difficult to afford paying off 100% of their debt over a five-year period. And a lot of folks aren't aware that they're actually dealing directly with the with the creditors, with a collection agent, and they're not going to make you aware of some other options that might be a better deal for you, like a consumer proposal, which hurts your credit the same, but you pay back what you can afford, sometimes 20 to 40% of the amount, as opposed to 100% of the amount. You can imagine that's a very different life, a very different means of affording the payback of your debt. Now, the last one is licensed insolvency trustee. And before we go there, I just want to say, if you want to jot down this website so that this will make more sense, Sense when you go back to the website to check it out. It's for sands-trustee.com. That's the website. And it's filled with great questions and really good answers on all kinds of areas of the things that we're talking about. And the phone number, just so that you've got this, jot it down as well, 1-800-661-3030. So let's talk about a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah, so different than, than the last two advisors that we talked about, a debt settlement agent or a credit counselor, a licensed insolvency trustee can deal with just about every debt that's out there. So not just your consumer debts, they can deal with your income tax, the penalties, the interest, they can deal with student loans, can deal with just about every ICBC debt as well. So when you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee, um, you're getting what's called a fresh start. You get the ability to start over unburdened by debt, and there's none of your debts typically they are going to fall outside of the program. I say typically because things like child support or alimony, you know, those are debts that you can't compromise, nor would most people seek to do so. But other than that, your standard debts, a licensed insolvency trustee can deal with all of them. Um, in Canada, a licensed insolvency trustee is the only professional that's able to use Canadian law to help you make a consumer proposal, which I alluded to previously, which is you know one of the best solutions that maybe you've never heard of unless you listen to us quite a bit, uh, but it's the best solution to get you out of debt without having to file a bankruptcy. So a proposal is structured to look at what would happen if you filed for bankruptcy, and most of the time, people would make some minimum payments, almost nothing would get repaid on their debts, and it's based on a win-win principle where the win to the person is they avoid filing a bankruptcy, and the win to their creditors, the people they owe money to, is that they actually get some of their debt back, you know, usually a range of 20 to 40% over a term of up to five years, you know, terms of about three to four years are more typical. So when you're dealing with a trustee, they've got to sit down with you, work out your budget, and figure out what you can actually afford to repay on your debts, which other advisors don't have to do. 
So, you know, if it's a credit counselor that's being paid by the lender, are they going to take the most interest in making sure you avoid hardship? Well, I hope so, because they're generally ethical people, but they're kind of rewarded to get the deal done. And that's that. If you're dealing with a trustee, their guidelines, professional ethics and the rules of professional practice that they have to abide by. They say that we are not allowed to sign off on a proposal unless we believe it's in everyone's best interest and the person will be able to repay it. Um, a licensed insolvency trustee can also help you file a bankruptcy if it's a situation where you know even 20 to 40 percent repayment of the debt just is not possible. It'll be too much hardship uh, or for whatever other reason. A personal bankruptcy is enshrined in Canadian law for the honest but unfortunate debtor to help them get a fresh start and turn things around. And generally, it's less severe than what you thought. It's generally private and it's nothing to be afraid of. A licensed insolvency trustee is going to help you explore all of those options and figure out what's the best for your specific situation. And uh, just uh, in the last minute we've got in this segment, Blair, uh, I want to just include the, the counseling sessions that are really are such an integral part of the service that you give somebody in assisting them in this debt management. Yeah, you, you said it right, Elaine. It's such an important part of the process is you've got to sit down. You'll meet with the trustee a number of times before you file the proceeding, and we'll give you some counseling at that point. But there'll be two uh, federally mandated with a great curriculum counseling sessions under either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. They're going to tell you how to rebuild your credit, how to move forward with great financial habits, and try to make it a one-time thing in your life. So we really want it to be a transformative experience with a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah, and it's just such good information that you can carry forward once you once once you get out of this and everything gets looked after, then you've got this. You've got another skill set. Sands-trustee.com. Give them a phone call, 1-800-661-3030, and get that first free consultation, as well as to find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. You know, I'm, if, if you're not sure what a licensed insolvency trustee does and who they are, this is the perfect segment for you. Um, tens of thousands of Canadians get help on a regular basis, annual basis. Lots of people, though, still don't know what a licensed insolvency trustee is. So we are so fortunate that Blair, who happens to be Senior Vice President of Sands & Associates and a licensed insolvency trustee, is going to explain what exactly he does and how he can help you uh, if you're wanting a plan to get out of debt. Hey, Blair. Hello, Elaine. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. So let's, good. can we just start with the basics of uh, who uh, or what a licensed insolvency trustee is and, and how you're different from everyone else? Certainly. And, and it's a question I'm really happy to answer. And I think if anyone's listening and, and you know, feeling a bit self-conscious, I don't know what a, this licensed insolvency trustee thing is, I, would, I wouldn't feel that way because I am a trustee. And until I started the process of becoming one, I hadn't really heard about this, um, this type of a professional either. And I think it's upwards of, you know, 70% of people in Canada, they've got a really uh, either a base, you know, very surface level understanding of how a bankruptcy or a proposal works. And it's probably even higher than that of people knowing who the actual professional is that would help you through a proceeding like that. So what a licensed insolvency trustee is, is previously we were known as bankruptcy trustees or trustees in bankruptcy. So the term licensed insolvency trustee didn't even exist prior to 2017. So you might have heard of trustees in bankruptcy or things like that. It's essentially the same thing. The government changed uh, this, the nomenclature or the name here just to make it more clear that trustees in bankruptcy or licensed insolvency trustees do a whole lot more than just administer bankruptcy proceedings. There's about a thousand trustees in Canada and they're the only professionals endorsed by the federal government to legally help you with your debt. 
Okay, now I know that this question uh, isn't on these specific notes, but what kind of education does one have to have to become a, a licensed insolvency trustee? Yeah, that's a great question, Elaine. So of the thousand trustees uh, that are in Canada, the vast majority of them uh, are chartered professional accountants or CPAs as well. Um, so generally, there's at least one other professional designation a trustee would have. Uh, myself, I'm not a CPA, but I'm a certified management consultant or a CMC. So most trustees have one other professional designation and also a university degree. So once you graduated from university, you've gotten your first designation generally. To become a trustee, uh, it takes between three to five years uh, of some self study programs, some exams administered by the federal government on an annual basis where the pass rates are, are quite low because they're quite difficult. And then at the end of the whole proceeding, uh, you have to sit an oral exam uh, with a trustee, with a lawyer, with a judge, with a representative from the government, everybody grilling you essentially, because the powers that a trustee has, they're not trivial. They're, you know, they're the ability um, to give somebody their wages back if their wages are being seized. They're the ability to help somebody you know, get out from under, whether it's 10000 a 100000 or a million dollars of debt that might be holding them back, a trustee is the person that's going to help you legally navigate uh, the Canadian system to help you get a fresh start and turn things around. So it's really highly regulated. Your profession is very highly regulated. Absolutely. And that's a big factor on how LITs are different from other debt help professionals that you might see out there. Um, so there's a very long and rigorous course of study that I've mentioned. Um, and then also you've got extensive regulations from the superintendent of bankruptcy, um, standards of professional practice and codes of ethics. So for anybody out there um, who's not sure about what a trustee is or if you can trust them, well, it's right in the name, of course, but uh, aside from a flippant <laughs> joke there, uh, you know, you've got all the power of the Canadian government behind this empowered professional and you've got a regulatory body that if you did have a dispute there's the ability to have you know the dispute adjudicated to, to the satisfaction of all parties now and there's some things that you can do that nobody else can do and I know you've already sort of touched on that but specifically there's some mm -hmm. big differences yeah, I think a couple that are really important to highlight, Elaine, especially if somebody is listening and saying, okay, well, so this trustee, what can a trustee do that somebody else can't? Well, right off the top, a trustee is the only person that can ever help you deal with government debt. So if there's debts such as income taxes to Canada Revenue Agency, student loans, federal or provincial, um, ICBC debts, those are the types of debts that, you know, no matter what, if you can't pay them in full, um, you're not going to be able to work out a deal with those creditors unless you're working through a trustee, either through making a proposal or filing for a personal bankruptcy. So it's really important if you have those types of debts that you come straight to a trustee because otherwise you're wasting time and money on a professional that just wouldn't be able to help you. Um, you know, another really key factor of why trustees are different and, you know, essentially why you should have some trust um, is that the fees and costs are strictly set by law. So everything you do with the trustee, um, you know, the initial consultation is always at no cost. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But whatever proceeding you do, if it's a bankruptcy or if it's a consumer proposal, the amounts that you pay are fully transparent. The fees are transparent. They're the same across Canada, all set by the government. So you really don't need to be worried about getting taken advantage of, which if you're dealing with consumer debt, you know, sometimes there is, um, you know, some, some people that are playing fast and loose with the rules and you find extra charges or things like that. You'll never find that with a trustee. So I know that you, your organization, uh, Sands and Associates, as well as licensed insolvency trustees across the country, help tens, literally tens of thousands of people. Um, when or who are those people? When is the time for me to come and see you? 
Yeah, the quick answer, Elaine, is come see a trustee sooner than you think you should. Um, the heartbreaking part of my job is when people come to me for an initial consultation, they often tell me about the two years prior, and it's generally about two years, where they were suffering. They were anxious. They weren't sleeping. They weren't eating. You know, They were concerned about providing for their family, and they just didn't know where to reach out for help, or they thought there was no help available to them. So you know, essentially, if you're concerned at all about your debts, or if you're just looking for a better way to manage them, there's no downside to connecting with a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, a trustee is impartial. They're going to review all of your debt options. And you know, even if you don't need a trustee's help, things aren't so severe that you need to do a proposal or, or even a bankruptcy. You're going to walk away knowing a whole lot more than when you walked in the door, pretty well guaranteed. And that could also give you the help, uh, sort of give you the ability to help others who are in your life who might be having difficulty with money. So there's no need to wait until your situation has reached such a critical point. You know, the wolf's at the door, um, you know, the, your wages are being seized. Of course, if that's happening, you should be reaching out to a trustee. But if you just have some general discomfort, um, some anxiety, you're looking at your bills every month, you're paying the minimums, but you know the next 50 years are going to look a lot the same because the debts aren't going down, um, that's when it's time to reach out for a free debt consultation to sit down with a trustee. Okay, so thanks for saying that word free, because that was my next question. What's it going to cost? Yeah, and, that, and that's something that should be crystal clear in consumers' minds. You will never get an invoice for a fee for service for a trustee. You know, it's not the case you pick up the phone and call a trustee and the clock is running at, you know, a few hundred dollars an hour or whatever a lawyer might charge. It's not that way. So uh, generally, if someone reaches out to a trustee, the first consultation is always free. Uh, at Sands & Associates, typically there's at least three consultations before we're making a formal filing because we want to give you the chance all your questions are answered, get all the correct information so when we're preparing documents, they're completely accurate and at no point are you paying for any of that professional assistance so if someone I've met with three or four times and you know given a lot of professional insight and help them figure out you know what the best option for you is to try to get a consolidation loan or to adjust your budget or to try to negotiate informally with your creditors they won't pay me a penny for that advice and I'm fine with that the vast majority of people that come in to see us we can provide them with some excellent information direct them to resources and the few that do need to file a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy uh, the fees pay as part of that, they basically cover the entire operations and allow us to provide uh, free service even to those who don't need our services. Well, so let's say um, I'm just in a position where I'm, I'm starting to think about taking some kind of action. What are the kinds of things that I need to keep in mind if I'm starting to research uh, to get some help with my debt? Those are great questions, Elaine, and, and it's it's definitely the case this is a bit of a murky area, especially if you start to research online. You'll see there's a ton of individuals that claim to be able to help you with your debts, and some of them will actively say, you know, don't go see a trustee, come to see us first. So I think it is important that you have a bit of a lens, some criteria on how you're going to evaluate whether someone can actually help you get out of debt. Uh, you know, some key things to consider, you know, number one is licensing. We've talked about this a little bit, um, but you need to understand, even if someone has you know, a pretty good Better Business Bureau, that doesn't mean you're dealing with a properly licensed professional. You should ask them, are you, are you licensed by the federal government to help me get out of debt? And unless you're dealing with a trustee, the answer will be no. They might say, well, we've got some internal licensing or some you know, uh, professional accreditation that all the credit counselors get together or something like that. But if there's no federal government license, that should start to raise your alarm bells a little bit saying, well, you know, what's my recourse here if things do go wrong? If this is just a self-regulating industry body of you know, basically comprised of the members, um, you're not going to have the same protections as if someone is licensed by the federal government. So that's a great one to start off with is just to ask the person, are you licensed? Okay. You know, a second factor to consider is costs. 
So, you know, we've said pretty explicitly, you're never going to pay a fee to deal with the trustee until and unless you're executing on a formal proceeding to restructure the debt. But all the upfront advice, the consultations, the investigations, all that's going to be free to help you figure out your way forward. You may need to make sure you understand clearly if you're dealing uh, with someone who may or may not be a trustee, you know, what is the fee structure? You know, when am I going to be paying you and how much? Uh, You know, am I going to be paying you regardless of whether you're able to help me settle my debt or move forward? Or do you get paid only if you make a successful recovery on my debts? So there's a bunch of questions that you should be asking. But, you know, the basic one is, well, how do you get paid and what's in it for you as the professional trying to help me, the person that's in debt? And not everybody will work with just anybody to help me either, right? That's exactly true, Elaine. So uh, as we mentioned a little bit previously, debts going to the government, whether it's ICBC, whether it's income taxes or student loans, those will never, and again, never is the operative word, will never reach a settlement with anybody other than a licensed insolvency trustee. So you know, if the majority of your problem is income taxes, student loans, ICBC, or things like that, you're essentially spinning your wheels if you're dealing with someone that's not a trustee because they won't have any ability to help you deal with those debts. What's also really important to realize when you're dealing with a trustee is a trustee has the power to bind creditors and essentially force them to take a deal, even if not everybody agrees. And this is really important, so I want to make sure I explain it clearly. If you're doing a consumer proposal, for example, and you've got some income tax debt, you've got some student loans, and you've got some credit card debt, let's say that the credit card companies really love the proposal that you've made. It's a reasonable settlement. They want to accept it. But income tax and student loans, they're not so sure they don't want you to pay more. The way a consumer proposal works is all we need to get on board is half of your debt. So 50% by dollar value, and then all of the other creditors are forced to participate in the same proposal settlement. So that's only something that a trustee can do if you're dealing informally with a debt counselor or an advisor or something like that. They need every creditor to agree individually. They can't protect you using the law. A trustee can protect you. All we need is 50% of your debts to agree to a plan, and the others are dragged along even if it's against their will. So I think the key is, and we're just gonna, I'm just going to wrap up this segment, Blair, and I know that we didn't touch on all the content. First of all, I want to mention that your website is terrific. It's got so much good information at sands-trustee.com. So if we didn't answer your question or I didn't answer your, ask your question in this segment, check out their website. It's chock-a-block full of great information. And the other thing is, if this information's resonating with you in any way, give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. That's Sands associates and get that free consultation and to find an office near you you know what the word bankruptcy Blair it it, it's got it's such a loaded word that's what I want to say it's so loaded Mm -hmm. for for people for with for different reasons with different definitions but it's they all are big and scary I think is fair to say Um, and I love that we're kind of displaying uh, dispel some of these myths around personal bankruptcy. And we say in British Columbia, because our bankruptcy rules are a little different, each province has their own set. And uh, I think it's so important to that we go over these. Yeah, Elaine, uh, you know, before I started to become a trustee, I had the same negative connotations, you know, about bankruptcy that the average person would have, you know, this means the end of your life, this means it's a complete failure. Uh, What I've come to understand is this is the chance to start again. It's a new beginning, it's a chance to put all of the debt that's causing you pain, um, shame and harm, I'll put all that behind you and get a new chance, a fresh start, a new lease on life. So bankruptcy can be very positive, especially finishing it and starting again with no debt. 
Um, but yeah, not, not kidding myself, a lot of people react very negatively emotionally when they hear the idea of a bankruptcy. And that's to a lot of folks' detriment because it is the case that what you don't know can hurt you. And people suffer for far longer than they should in very hopeless and difficult debt situations because they had some conception of what they thought a bankruptcy would look like that was completely divorced from a reality. You know, in our recent client surveys, up to 95% of people said that they didn't seek debt help right away. Most of them suffered for up two years, only 5% reached out as soon as they knew there was a problem. And the big reason why people decided to wait was they thought there was no solution. They didn't know where to reach out to. They didn't know this bankruptcy thing would solve their issues. Um, and then once they had filed the proceeding, more than seven in 10 people coming through a bankruptcy were extremely satisfied with their decision. So what we all think is negative, more than seven out of 10 people say this was positive. Some people say it was the best thing I ever did to get my life back. The other piece I just want to throw in, and we and you know this is true, is that that people you're you're not alone in struggling mm -hmm. with uh, debts and finances and and a restricted economy and all of those things, especially right now. But just living in BC, in the Lower Mainland, for example, uh, we're up against a lot of stresses that other parts of the province or other parts of the country certainly aren't under. Yeah, it, it, in typical months, it's upwards of a thousand people across BC file a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. So odds are someone in your life has been um, through a trustee's door. You may not know about it, but trust me, that person is going to be better off for having gotten help. So let's start with the first myth that you that you want to talk about. Bankruptcy is only for folks who have poor credit ratings. Yeah, so totally not true. So you can have a poor credit rating and file for bankruptcy. You could have perfect credit and apply for bankruptcy. So it's not a requirement uh, that, you know, you've been missing payments completely. You know, you've been sued for your debts or things like that. The requirement to file for bankruptcy uh, is that you owe more than $1,000 and that you are insolvent. And insolvent means that you're not able to pay your debts as they become due. So, you know, you might be missing payments or not, or you might just look forward and say, you know what, I'm never going to be able to pay these debts back, even if I make all the minimum payments. If I were to sell all of my assets, there's no way I would be able to, uh, to basically clear all this debt. So you have to be having difficulty not able to pay your debts, or at least forecast that you'll have difficulty and you have to be owing more than a thousand dollars but it's more than 70 percent of people that come to us they've actually got great credit and it, it was so surprising to me my first few clients when i saw their credit reports i was like wow this is in the 700s you've got sixty thousand dollars of debt and you're just moving money around every month um, to make the minimum payments that's what it takes to keep a good credit rating so you don't need to be delinquent on your debts the vast majority of people they find a way to keep everybody paid uh, but they just know when they file for bankruptcy that it's actually going to get them out of debt because all they're doing is treading water at this point. So I, I know that you've said that lots of people believe that in order to file for bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy, your situation has to be exceptionally dire. Um, but that's not necessarily true either. No, it, it definitely ranges from person to person. So for some folks, you know, owing $10,000 is incredibly overbearing and they can't handle the stress and they wouldn't be able to pay it back because their income is quite low. Uh, for someone with very high income, you know, owing twenty-five dollars or $30,000, that might not be a dire situation for them because they know their income is very strong and they can pay things back. So a trustee can help you figure out all of these things. But the idea is not to wait until it's such that you've been sued, your wages are being taken, you're getting collection calls, more morning, noon, or night. It doesn't have to be that severe for you to reach out to a bankruptcy or to a licensed insolvency trustee. All you need to do is to, to understand um, you know, that you're just not going to be able to pay this debt as you go forward, and you can have access to this option. 
Okay, and I'll just mention the website uh, where you can uh, start that process to talk to somebody at Sands & Associates. It's sands-trustee.com, or you can give them a number, a uh, call rather, at 1-800-661-3030. Um, I bet one of the other myths would be that government debt, because that is so scary when you owe either the provincial government or the federal government. CRA is, is like this looming monster if you're in debt to them. Um, and mm-hmm. the feeling that I, there's nothing I can do about it. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I, I often say, you know, the three scariest lang- scariest letters in the English language for Canadians is CRA. People <laughs> yeah. just, when they've got a tax debt or whether it's income taxes, GST, student loans, or other amounts owing to government, uh, people get very scared because the government does have additional powers of collection that other creditors don't have, uh, but they've got no exemption in the Bankruptcy Act. So if you owe money for, again, income taxes, GST, student loans, even ICBC debt, um, all of that can be dealt with as part of a personal bankruptcy. It can be discharged, which means it gets left behind. It doesn't follow you. And what you need to be careful about is we get a lot of our news, you know, from down south in the U.S. or maybe from other places. In certain jurisdictions like the U.S., there is an exemption for tax debt. You go bankrupt, you still owe that money. Canada is not that way. So if you go into bankruptcy, your tax debt will be dealt with as part of the bankruptcy. Can we talk about um, how bad your situation has to be in terms of the myths around that? Like, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose everything if I declare bankruptcy. That that's a huge myth that that people have, and again, the 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 cursory understanding of bankruptcy is you give up everything and you basically throw yourself at the mercy of the court. That's not really the case. So for the vast majority of people to file for bankruptcy in BC, they keep all of their assets. They're actually in a better position having filed the bankruptcy because now they're protected and nobody can seize anything from them. But each province in Canada holds out certain exemptions that if someone files for bankruptcy, uh, the government says, well, it's not right that you lose everything. How are you going to reestablish yourself? So in the province of BC, there's generous exemptions for how household furniture, for clothing, for a vehicle, for tools of the trade, and even equity in a principal residence. So even if you've got a house and there's a little bit of equity in there, it's not a foregone conclusion. If you file for bankruptcy, you have to surrender all of that equity or sell the house. So there are certain individuals, they file for bankruptcy and they've got, say, you know, a nice boat or or a vacation property or something that could be used to pay off the debt. There are some, some assets that would have to be surrendered, but the vast majority of people keep all of their assets during a bankruptcy proceeding. And length of time, I'm sure, goes into that, too. Like, I'm going to be in this situation forever, or at least that's how it feels. But that's not the case either. Well, and that's what can frustrate me a little bit, because you hear sometimes in the media, oh, and they're partway through their seven-year bankruptcy term. I'm like, there's no seven-year bankruptcy term. Where is this coming from? So people think, yeah, they're going to be bankrupt for six or seven or even 10 years. Absolutely not the case. For 80% of people, then they file for bankruptcy. They are finished and discharged inside of nine months. So not nine years, nine months, literally. And that's if you're low income. If you're not low income, it's done in under two years. It's in 21 months in total. Where the seven-year myth comes from, I think, uh, is there is a credit rating impact for bankruptcy. So once you're finished, uh, bankruptcy is noted on your credit report for six years after your discharge. So if you're nine months in bankruptcy plus six years on your credit, okay, that totals up to seven years. But you were finished the bankruptcy in nine months. And if you do the right things to rebuild your credit, that bankruptcy notation isn't going to matter much after two to three years if you making all your payments on time you know not being delinquent on anything you could even get a mortgage two to three years after bankruptcy if you've been able to save some money so there's no seven-year bankruptcies unless things have went horribly awry the vast majority of people it's nine months 
And I know that people talk about, well, I'm filing for bankruptcy or I'm thinking about doing it. I'm going to need this and this and this, including a lawyer. And how how true is that, that people need legal advice to go through this? All you need is a trustee. It starts with a free consultation. You don't need to pay any retainers. You don't need to pay anything. A trustee is going to explain everything to you. Yeah, you can go hire a lawyer to get some individual advice, but the vast majority of people are well served just to deal directly with a trustee. So good. And check out their website if you need more information before you make the call, if that's the case, sans-trustee.com, or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. This segment is all about wage and bank account garnishments, which I think is a really good idea for a segment because, man, that would be unbelievably scary uh, just dealing with that threat of a garnishment by a creditor. Be super stressful for folks. And they do have rights, like the person, the victim in this case, does have rights. Uh, but boy, oh boy, you know, you, you have to you have to figure out or find out what those are. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Elaine. This is oftentimes one of the most challenging situations people face. Um, and it means that things have gone very bad with their creditors if suddenly there's a garnishment in place. And what we talk to when we, when we say garnishment, it's sometimes called, you know, a garnishee or a wage assignment or an attachment. Uh, what it is, it's the ability for a creditor to collect a debt from you by seizing part of your income. So what it means in practice is that you were getting your paycheck, you know, just regular along, things were going fine. Suddenly a creditor gets a garnishee against you. And quite often the province of BC, that's 30% of your take-home pay before you receive it. It's taken off the top and given to the creditor who has the garnishee against you. Um, so that can just be incredibly debilitating. Most people are really having a tough time making ends meet on 100% of their income. So to suddenly have to work with $0.70 cent dollars from their salary uh, can be very difficult. And it often sends people running through our doors because a trustee is one of the only people that can stop it dead in its tracks. I bet it does. I can't, I can't imagine going through that. Um, so how does a creditor start this kind of collection action? Well, there's a bunch of things that, that have to be done. And what's important for people to know, too, is that let's say 10,000 people owe money and are a little bit delinquent. All 10,000 are going to be threatened with a garnishment. Um, but it's a very small subset, probably in the low single digits, you know, maybe it's four or five of those thousand who are actually going to get preceded with a wage garnishment. So just because you've been threatened with one doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. It might happen. You might be one of those unlucky few, but it is something that's threatened very often, um, but it's, it's not always followed through on. Um, so what a garnishment happens is that the creditor or how a garnishment happens is that the creditor needs to apply to court to start a wage garnishment. And that takes time and it generally doesn't happen overnight. So even if they're threatening your next paycheck, we're going to take some share of it. If you know there's been no court action taken against you, you haven't been served with documents, nothing like that, you know that's a bit of an empty threat. So before a creditor can actually garnish your wages, they need to get actually two court orders. So the first is a judgment against you um, called a payment order, which confirms that you owe the creditor the debt. So, you know, if you owed a credit card company a debt and they've tried forever to collect from you and you haven't paid them, they can go to court and the court would give them a judgment against you is what that's called. Um, and they would win because it's a valid debt and you're not disputing it. Once they have, have this judgment against you, uh, they can then seek what's called a garnishing order, which would require the third party who owes you money, which is often your employer, to make payments to the creditor and not to you. Now, any creditor that's doing this, they actually have to re 
repeat that step for every pay period. So each time they're doing this, they are incurring some costs. Um, so you know, it doesn't always get get stuck on there, but sometimes creditors can be quite efficient. Um, they'll just be a machine, and every pay period they'll be back in court and getting the garnishee to, to basically be, be re- reinstated each time. Um, so it's really important that you don't stop opening your mail. You might miss some of these legal notices. You might miss a service of documents if you don't open all the things you're supposed to. So just make sure that you're aware of what's going on. If there's been a judgment, uh, a payment hearing, or then a garnishing order, you, you definitely want to know about that. Um, if you haven't opened your mail and you just get surprised, what you're, go- what you're going to find is your employer's payroll department is going to receive the garnishing order from the creditor, and they're legally bound to abide by that order. So if they decide, well, you know, we really like you, Joe, and we don't want to give any of your wages to the creditors, what it means is that employer is now personally liable for making that remittance back to the industry back to the creditor who has the garnishee. So it's not something they can be wishy and washy about. Unfortunately, that garnishee has to be respected. Okay. Now, is this the same process for all creditors who are wanting their money? Not all. So all except for government. So any typical consumer debt that's not a government debt, they do have to go to court. They have to get the payment hearing and then the garnishing order. But if it's a government debt, they can skip court altogether, uh, which is, talk about a shock. So again, you definitely open your mail, but sometimes you might not even have a whole lot of, of advance notice of the government deciding that they're going to garnish she. They can just send a note directly to your employer. Uh, if you're self-employed, they can also send a notice directly to your clients, and they can. that's what's called a requirement to pay, and the requirement is for them to pay the government, not you, uh, meaning that your clients might have to give 100% of the amount that they you if you're self-employed have done a bunch of work and are expecting a big check cra can intercept that up to 100 percent of the funds uh, with very little notice to you uh, they can also put a hold or a freeze or even a seizure on your bank account with little notice so when we say garnishment quite often it's cra and there's not that much advance notice but anybody that's not cra does have to go through that multi-step court process okay and do i know that they're undertaking this process right away well, it depends. So usually this is not the first thing that they're going to try, especially with okay. CRA. They're going to try to be reasonable. They're going to let you know what's happening. Uh, but you might not have a whole lot of advance notice uh, that it. you're going to be garnished because sometimes they want to make sure, especially if there's a bunch of money in a bank account, that you don't just go and move that bank account elsewhere or take the money out and hold it in cash. So sure. sometimes you'll have an idea it's coming, but it can hit you without much warning at times. Okay. I just want to direct folks, if you're wanting to take some action or need more information than what we're giving you at this moment, check out their website, Sands and Associates website. It's really good. It's filled with great questions and answers, lots of good information at sands-trustee.com. Or if you're in this situation already and you want to take action and uh, get that appointment with somebody from Sands and Associates and see if you can figure this out, 1-800-661-3030. How much of a person's income is a creditor allowed to take? Yeah, usually in the province of BC, it's 30% of your net. So after those deductions are are taken for CPP, EI, income tax, and things like that, um, 30% of what would be paid to you is what typically a creditor would be able to seize. Um, But there are some exceptions to this. So Canada Revenue Agency can go above 30%. It's just a provincial limit, not a federal limit. Uh, And Family Maintenance Enforcement, they can go above 30% as well for unpaid alimony or child support. Um, as I mentioned, CRA could take up to 100% of amounts owing if you're self-employed and a client is about to pay you. That could be seized up to 100%. Um, 
but there's some income that's very difficult to seize, and this just makes sense. You know, things like CPP or OAS or guaranteed income supplement or employment insurance or social assistance. Typically, this is just allowing people to, to meet their very basic minimum living expenses each month. And quite often, you won't see a garnishment. No court will grant you a garnishment other than perhaps CRA or FMEP. But typically, um, they're going to be you're reasonable in understanding about that. So if you've just got social assistance or just those other forms of income that I mentioned, they're typically less likely to be garnished, especially by a creditor, but even by CRA, they're less likely to be seized. Okay. And then what kind of options do I have to deal with this? Well, you can definitely try to apply to court to have the garnishing order set aside. So you can try to prove to the court that this garnishment is causing you significant financial hardship or it's not required to ensure payment of the debt. You're going to pay these guys. They don't need the garnishment to to make sure of that. Or you can ask them to increase the percentage of your income that's not subject to a garnishment. So uh, by default, 70% of your income isn't, suffer- isn't subject to a garnishment. You can say, well, court, I think it should be 90% of my income, and that would reduce the amount that, that's being taken. Most people don't pursue that remedy. They get you know, quite scared of making court applications or don't know what to do. So quite often, they just allow the garnishment to continue um, or Quite often, and I hope people know this is an option, they reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee. And the reason why creditors often threaten a garnishment but don't pursue it is because any money they've spent to get a garnishment in place or anything like that, it stops dead in its tracks as soon as a licensed insolvency trustee is appointed. So either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal would stop a garnishment, give the person their income back, and they're generally in a much better position once they've got that protection. Got it. I can't stress enough what good sense it makes to to give somebody at Sands and Associates, a licensed insolvency trustee, a call just to say, look, this is my situation. What can I do? What can I do today? Because often it's like this is starting tomorrow or it's been going on for a week already and I am in a serious situation. So sands-trustee.com is the website. Give them a call 1-800-661-3030. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.